0: Well, we have to have a moment of silence, like five seconds. Okay, that's the intro for this podcast. That would be Jake starting his Tesla.
1: Beautiful. Purrs like a kitten.
0: Yeah.
2: Hey, guys. Welcome to the Better Building Systems Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fair, and Here with me today is Nick Taliska, Jim D. Pasquale, Mark Sankey, and a special guest, Jake Lana. In today's podcast, we will be discussing renewable energy sources and their application and viability in today's buildings, and that's residential, commercial, and industrial. As the podcast is titled, Can We Hot Rod With Renewables? I don't know if we will uh, get to a consensus after this podcast, but hopefully bring up some really good discussion points. And for our listeners, uh, we hope you guys tune in and give us your thoughts as well. So before we get started... Jake, do you want to just give a quick introduction on yourself?
3: Yeah, short and sweet. is uh, I'm an engineer, a process engineer in the optics industry. I've worked with Mark and Clayton on a building project. And I, I don't have a ton of, I'd say, practical experience in the energy industry, so I kind of hope to come to this as maybe a representative of those curious about it but don't necessarily have a lot of touch points with you know, renewables or, or really the energy industry generally.
2: I think you asked some really good questions. So that's definitely one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on. With that being said, I don't know if we want to just kind of go through the list of what we would consider the renewables we'll be talking today. Obviously, the big ones are solar and wind. And I would consider geothermal heat pumps to fall into that category. And I think in my opinion and, and probably like many others uh nuclear falls in that category i don't know if there's any more that i'm missing that stick out
1: yeah i've got a couple but before that you know can we do like a quick poll on like what comes to mind when you hear the word renewable energy oh I'm that's gonna... a
2: great question yeah
1: mark you always have something to say i
0: think for me and uh I I still use it. I think biomass fuel is uh, big, especially, you know, residentially. You think about biomass, how many people do you know that either completely or partially heat with wood? I know for 15 years, I had an outdoor wood boiler and I would burn anywhere between 12 and 16 cords, not face cords, cords of wood a year to heat my 150-year-old house. Now, that's... 100% 100% renewable, but I think even on a larger scale, biomass boilers uh, have a place.
1: So when you say, when I say the word renewable energy, the first thing that comes to mind is biomass.
0: No, I said that Trees. was another.
1: <laughs> I said that was one.
0: No, uh, renewable energy, I mean, solar and, and wind are definitely renewable. I have No, just, I'm, no
1: I'm sorry. I wanted to get to more just generally. Like when I say spaghetti, what comes to mind? Like when I say <laughs> renewable energy, is there any notion that we all have like that originally just pops into your mind i'll go first okay you go uh, first i don't know i think renewable energy credits and i don't like those but no i just i, I kind of just wanted a, a sense from everybody like renewable energy you're know, like yeah it's the future it's the salvation of earth it's the greatest thing ever or it's overhyped i don't know well i think of solar
2: and wind instantly if you said renewable energy solar panels or a wind turbine
1: okay let's forget this poll let's move on to uh yeah no i
3: agree i actually think it brings up a good a good point between um the distinction between renewable and sustainable i think those that's like a venn diagram that cover similar and also different sources of energy and i think like in the in the public discussion a lot of people haven't really separated those two categories in their mind and they might get glommed together. And when Mark said biomass, it really made me realize that maybe in my own head, I had sustainable and renewable clumped together in a
4: way that was incorrect. Well, I think um, they're, they're very similar. And I think if you get very nuanced with the definitions, I wanna I'm kind of doing this from memory. I, technically like solar is not renewable because a renewable resource is naturally replenished. I think that would fall under sustainable because there's technically an infinite amount of it.
2: That's a good point.
4: I, I think. Yeah. Everyone. I, I think a lot of people just use them interchangeably. It's just technically, I, I would say that in the public discourse, anything that's not fossil fuels is with, with uh, the asterisk next to nuclear, yeah. You know, pr- pretty much everything else is some sort of renewable or sustainable energy in there in the public view.
1: Interesting distinction, like between renewable and sustainable. I would think they, in my mind, that's all I hear. They go together. They're yeah, almost synonymous.
4: Exactly. And I think when you get really into the weeds on the definitions, and I'm, I'm like ninety percent sure on this that you know, like geothermal would be renewable because you're renewing the heat source. You know, like if you're if you're doing it summer and winter, you have a balanced load. You need, you're renewing your heat sink and heat source. Whereas solar, um, I believe, falls under the sustainable category because you don't technically renew the solar energy. It's just considered an infinite, clean source of energy. So that falls under the sustainable category. But I think for the purposes of our discussion today... We're probably talking about both, yeah. Right, definitely.
1: Yeah. Words are tricky. Yep. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So that th- that was that was good. Uh, okay. So what so, else do we have? So yeah. Uh, solar, wind, Clayton, geothermal.
2: Yeah, I think geothermal. Like like Jim just said, I mean, that' a great way to think about it is a renewable source of energy. And, and biomass, nuclear.
1: Are we including that?
2: I didn't think about that until today. I think it's a great i think point, that though. should
1: be on there, and hydroelectric, and then tidal. Yes, aren't those, aren't those the big ones?
2: Uh, would you consider them big? I mean, yeah, they uh, they're tapped um, out. Well, not tidal. Hydroelectric is, but like yeah. to to me, I, I I would categorize tidal as wind, but it's just it's they're kind of the same thing to me. Oh, the moon, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, the moon, it's lunar energy. I guess. <laughs> true.
3: And I would put geothermal, actually, as most people use the word geothermal, I would, I would categorize that as solar because true geothermal heat uh, is sourced from radioactive decay in the Earth's core. And most geothermal that we think of for, like, residential housing actually doesn't access heat that low in the Earth depths of the Earth. And what they're accessing is heat that's been absorbed by the Earth's Uppermost crust crust from the the sun.
1: Very interesting. I don't think I've ever heard that.
0: Jake, that you are a hundred percent accurate on that.
4: Huh. I'm gonna interject a little bit on that. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. There's two different types of geothermal energy. Right? Where there's geothermal, where they, they drill deep wells and extract heat deep from the earth's surface and generate electricity, you know, with steam, essentially. Correct. I think in the HVAC world, and be it, you know, a lot of our conversations were all around geothermal heating and cooling. And that's actually mostly just, in my opinion, using that area of the earth as a, a massive thermal battery. You're not necessarily pulling heat from like a continuous source that's reheated over time, we're pumping it full of heat pulling heat out of it yes you're getting a little bit of heat brought back in if you're unbalanced and you're pulling more heat than you're putting back in but when you do like a geothermal design and you you actually model and graph the underground climate because it's cyclic every year the earth that temperature of where your bore fields are is changing you know throughout the seasons and it it's it's mostly use is like a seasonal energy storage rather than uh, like a source of energy so that's just my two cents
0: that's that is correct Jim also though you can go to Minnesota North Dakota which are you know predominantly uh, heating requirements and use geothermal specifically because it's renewed from the Sun you know you're whatever six feet down that's not the Earth's core that's providing the heat it's ultimately the solar renewal radiation. of the, yeah 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 huh. but you know interestingly we were in New Zealand a few years ago and the North Island is a hundred percent geothermal power plant where there it's a volcanic island obviously so they drill down and make 600 psi steam from the temperature of that volcano to provide power for the whole North Island
1: fascinating
0: yeah Garrett, Do you know how incredible. far down they go they drill no, in fact, the, the whole process just from a uh, 10,000-foot level seems so scary, I didn't even want to go to the site. <laughs> <laughs>
1: huh. That's interesting in and of itself. Yeah. So,
2: so I think 100%. I want to try to pull us a little bit back and, and start talking specifics, you know, or about- fight you every step of the way. Vi- like- viability <laughs> or, like, what it comes down to me with this podcast episode is like, okay, pick whatever, you know, renewable energy source we have listed. Is it viable? Is it, will it work in the future? Can we grow on it? Whatever, financially and sustainably. And so can, can you do,
0: let me, let me share your, share a screen. You see that slide. Okay. So this was from 2020 data. This is a, the U S current electric generation mm-hmm. by sources. All right. So, Right out of the chute, you see that uh, natural gas and coal comprise fifty nine percent of our total electric production in the United States. That's in twenty twenty. Yep. So we're not much different than that now. Nuclear twenty percent renewables. That's the total, right? Twenty mm-hmm. percent and hydro, uh, non hydro, and petroleum is other. So if you look at the expansion, so natural gas is the blue, and coal so all, all that really natural gas has done is displace coal and even going back uh, you know 20 years despite the enormity of investment and when I talk about investment it's federal investment in both large scale subsidies and there's also a, there was a 30% residential tax credit now it's down to i think 26% Tax credit for installation of renewables in a residence. We've only had basically, you know, we've do, we've doubled our renewable production, but it is in no way positioned to displace the base load of uh, fossil fuels. So we've we've been working hard in this for quite some time, and made minimal progress.
1: I am dubious of these numbers. I don't know why. You know where this came from, Nick? EIA. EIA, whatever. The EIA. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I just retract that statement then. Forgive me. Uh, (laughs) I just, I don't know. I've looked at different uh, type of graphs here. 13% non-hydroelectric renewables is generating utility scale power generation
0: in this country. 13%. Well, again, who are you going to trust if you don't trust the government? Thank you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Although I
2: will say, utility scale, yeah, I, I, I guess that is the whole point of this discussion: is can renewables function on a utility level?
0: Okay, right? I just wanted
1: to give you. Yeah, a, 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 you can stop. Take okay. your suspect sources mark off the screen. My suspect please. sources, and so so nuclear is obviously is interesting, and I think, well, we can talk about it, but yeah,
0: let's talk about it. You, nuclear we're going to start with nuclear.
1: It would definitely seem to be a sustainable green energy source. No? Yeah, I would concur. Sure. Yeah. Okay, right. So I I think it's just uh, well, keyword maybe some sort of propaganda that you just one is.
2: accident and then people think it's just bad. You know, I don't. I but mean, uh, is,
1: that's really it, is it not? It is, I agree. It's just scary because people understand the wind blowing in their hair and the sun shining <laughs> on their skin. Yep uh nuclear fission Ah. i I, clayton
0: and i talked about this at length yesterday okay so we all trust in engineering innovation and improvement right if you stood at the uh sand on kitty hawk when the wright brothers first flew would anybody believe that within 75 years there would be transatlantic airplane crossings hell no Right. Hmm. But in the same thing was true with the Model A. If you said that within 100 years, the Model T that within 100 years, the world land speed record would be 400 miles an hour. Hell no. And those are just examples of how engineering innovation increases effectiveness, efficiency, safety, all of that. So I think when we, we talk about nuclear in specific, if you go back to the early days of nuclear, now that was World War II era, that there were nuclear accidents, you know, inadvertent exposures, all kinds of big things, but the engineering knowledge and skill set was in its infancy. And, you know, by virtue of the military, specifically the Navy, nuclear safety was much more advanced, you know, I mean at a more rapid pace than not. And then you got big companies involved, you know, General Electric and all those guys that uh, Westinghouse that became big innovators. And now I would say that the evidence, you know, as far as nuclear accidents uh, based on the amount generated is pretty low and can't get anything but better.
3: I agree. I
1: think so. It's in a zero emission energy source. Right. land footprint is so small compared to every other type of renewable or sustainable green energy and the waste quite frankly from what i read is quite minimal you know so i don't i don't fully understand why this is not in the discussion when we talk about clean energy which is really what people care
3: about right Right. I I don't know if you can, I mean, we go back to the technicality of what is renewable. I don't know if uh, uranium is renewable, but you need such a small amount of it. You can, I I don't know if we can just go ahead and assume it's essentially infinite supply. And then I agree, the safety has improved immensely. And as long as you're generally responsible with where you put these facilities and how you design them, they're very safe. And I think France is uh, a Decent example of an advanced economy where, well, I'm trying to see what year of data, 2019, proportion of energy was around, looks like 75% of their energy came from nuclear. So Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yeah, the, the, yeah, France, the French France. Yeah. yeah, that's France. Interesting. And I thought Germany was high too, but I think recently they've scaled it
4: back for whatever
3: reason. I think it was.
4: Well, after Fukushima, Germany, I believe, put like, yeah. a moratorium on it and was getting ready to decommission they're right. going to go the other direction,
3: and I think that that just goes to show you all the accidents of history. That man, huge decisions are made on maybe not the best information or there's sentiment involved, and
4: well, that's what killed the nuclear industry in the U.S. Was that you had the hysteria from Chernobyl and then Three Mile Island. Yep. I mean, after that, I mean, it just kind of dropped off a cliff.
0: That's right. But, but in terms of scarcity of resources, I'd much rather have uh, uranium generating electricity than in a warhead. So yes. if, we have a, if we have uranium, <laughs> let's put it in a power plant. <laughs> yeah,
4: this is true. It, it, and Agreed. not Agreed. to get too nuanced and technical on nuclear, but there's other forms of you know fission, nuclear fission plants. You know, there's been technology developed in the 50s, that for various reasons, from what I understand, we we went down the current road with light water reactors and you know uranium en- enrichment, the way we have it now, because a lot of those nuke plants, they the result is they developed that enriched uranium and plutonium for nuclear weapons. A lot of that was being used for nuclear weapons. Where there's you know molten salt thorium reactors, different fission technologies that are you know, passive safety systems. So you don't rely on active cooling, you know, to prevent a meltdown. They have, you know, passive safety. um, And you're dealing with a technically infinite amount of fuel at that point. And I know there is development in that area, but regulation is so geared towards our current types of systems that, that that's probably one of the biggest hurdles is just the regulatory environment.
1: Mm -hmm. Amen. That's a very, int- I, I'm l- liking this little discussion because there, there's such a distinction, I think, between, I don't know, it's either, you know, green and clean, renewable or sustainable, and they all do mean different things. And I kind of wonder what really matters the most to people at large, not that that should govern public policy or anything, but Like what
2: your starting question, what do people think about when you say renewable energy?
1: Yeah, and I think they would go with like, oh, you know, like that's, you know, green and clean and renewable and sustainable. And yeah, well, those are all very different things. And right. Some of them are mutually exclusive. And some of them, like Jake pointed out, it's like a Venn diagram. Yeah. So it is interesting. But Clayton, please get us back on track. <laughs> I just want to know, can solar
2: function at a utility level? And does it, do we consider it to function well at a residential level right now? What do we think about that? Take Let's take it back to the what I would consider the standard renewables, solar and wind. Mm, I only have one word. Okay. Texas. <laughs> it's a pretty good recent example, I
1: guess. <laughs> You're talking about the wind turbines freezing?
0: Wind and uh, solar being covered with snow.
4: Yeah. Well I'm not, I'm not up to
3: date on that but what wasn't there a lot of natural gas line freezing and issues as well
0: Well Jake the, the whole issues with that is the the temperature uh resilience of the entire infrastructure was not in place there was no construction standard you know when people's water lines are freezing in their garage because they don't have insulation you know despite their heat being on that's a that's a construction issue and the whole um Code is not written around, you know, hey, we're going to have sub zero temperatures for a week in Texas. So could someone
2: say that's a little bit of an anomaly then for. OK, it was, so it was
0: three mile island. Yeah,
3: yeah, 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 I
1: agree. I completely agree. I'm not arguing that. So what happens to the wind turbines in Minnesota? So that's an interesting question. So
0: uh, I would do a screen share, but that was kind of clunky. So I'll just uh, give you the data on that which is basically how much energy does a wind turbine produce. This is also from the EIA that in general for uh, every megawatt you put in, you should expect on average 30% production based on mechanical reliability and wind speed. So that means if you want to build 100 megawatts, you need to put in 300 megawatts of production, and assume that at some point in time, and they actually have a curve on there, that uh, as a percent of time, approximately 14% of the time, you're going to produce zero.
1: Okay, but do, I mean, so the your example about the, the, the wind tar- turbines in Texas, if they were designed to be installed in a northern state, would they have survived the freezing temperatures? Were they made of a different, just like, Oh, maybe. I don't know different. that. I don't know that. Because I hear that a lot, the, the whole Texas thing, you're one word. But then I think, well, there's also the 100-year floods, and you're obviously not going to design around
3: well, that. Well, that's
0: why Fukushima happened, though, was one tsunami. That is true.
3: I think there were design flaws with that reactor as well. They did some cost-saving measures, and it had have been located designed. located diesel that generators
4: below water. the floodplain.
0: Right. <laughs> 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 you're exactly right.
4: My biggest problem with solar and wind is just scalability. You know, I, I, I'm always thinking not about now, but what our energy needs going to be, you know, 10, 20, 50 years from now.
2: God, don't say it. Don't say electric cars.
4: I'm not, gonna even, I don't even need <laughs> to. I mean, I, Cause you, you know, 20 years from now, there might be things that exist that we're not, you we can't think of now that are consuming, you know, big energy consumers this is this is why like I, I'm a big I'm a big nuclear fanboy because nuclear mm-hmm. scales, right? It's got a, as Nick For said, sure. it's got an extremely extremely tiny footprint because footprint is big in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm seeing these solar arrays going up all over to- my town and some of the outskirts it used to be farmland. They clear it and then they just throw up endless amounts of solar panels, and I'm like, all right, well, what if you know in 20 years we need, you know triple Mm. the the energy and but not just that we need like you go back to mark's graph you need 10 times renewables so like are we just going to cover everything with solar panels and have wind turbines everywhere i'm driving through the southern tier and see wind turbines you know in the the hills and then they're talking about offshore you know which i am so against just because i don't want to be staring at these things you know they're those are some of my biggest problems with, with wind and solar. I think they're excellent in residential and distributed applications, but at the utility scale, you know, but people aren't realizing the other thing is, is you, you can't just have wind and solar. If you want to go, you know, largely renewable and get rid of fossil fuels, you need to pair them with either a natural gas fired, you know, plant like a a topping plant, a, a quick fire up, they could balance right. low, low demand, or you need utility scale battery storage, which I just don't. I understand there's some what they call utility scale battery storage systems out there. I just don't see that being employed at scale anytime in the near future at all. Uh, I'd love to be challenged on that because in this whole conversation, I have just as many questions as I do. I probably have more questions than answers, but just from all the different angles I see this at, I just don't see how you scale solar and wind at the utility scale anytime soon.
0: I would add on to that. I don't see how you scale at utility level without enormous government investment. So, Jim, whether you like it or not, you'll be paying for it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. That, that's why I always go back well just compare it to why wouldn't you go with nuclear in this case
1: so yeah I, I'm with Jim I guess honestly. if you know it's more questions I think I mean I have strong opinions on stuff, but yeah I am kind of I'm very curious about the solar interplay with utility grade production you know I guess I'm not really that familiar with it they didn't be able to conceptualize that that they're not just using it for some office space or something but actually producing megawatts of energy
3: with it
0: oh go to nevada and look at some of the utility size i mean it's as far as you can see is is, uh solar panels you know even in upstate new york there are some pretty large uh, installations even along um, the southern tier expressway yeah that that are definitely utility connected
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Now that you pointed out.
4: It's just a massive footprint and there's a finite amount. You'll always have that Watts per square foot of solar energy available for you to capture. That'll never go up. Right. So you can't increase the energy intensity and the, you know, the Watts per square foot available. We can improve the efficiency. Right. So I, I, you know, I don't know what the latest solar panels are. I know that a few years ago, there you were lucky to get twenty percent efficiency. You know, you're you're able to convert twenty percent of the radiation coming that hits your panel to electrical energy. So there's room to grow there. But again, you have a a, a hard stop. You could that's only a
1: great convert. Point. I, and well, that's And that's that's what can...
4: I, that's my biggest point is. There there's there's a ceiling there, right? <laughs> With nuclear, there's technically no ceiling, so our energy needs could keep skyrocketing, 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 and we have, uh, you know, technically abundant amount of clean energy available if we develop it. That isn't going to knock down all of our forests and farmland and convert it all with you know these plastics and rare earth metals. Um, I don't and- think
3: it would get that bad because there's enough. Solar energy hitting the Earth every day to to cover our energy just like a thousand times over. So I think if, and, and the problem with this idea I'm about to present is obviously distribution. So it's more oh, of yeah. a thought experiment. But you could take approximately, I think it's a hundred square mile area in Arizona or one of those sunny states. And that patch of land would be enough solar capacity to to power the United States. And obviously you can't distribute power from that central location. But, you know, when you think about distributed um, implementation, I mean, I got a quote for solar on my roof and subsidies are involved. I, I tried to look up subsidies for renewables and there's no rosy picture about it right now. It's significant per gigawatt hour. They get a lot more subsidies than fossil fuels and provide a lot less energy. So there's definitely a lot of government support. Um, but I was able to power my home with like a 10 year payback period with the subsidies. So I just wonder, you know, if you're distributing it on spaces that you're not using anyway, that are out of sight, that I think that helps the argument of solar. And I and then as far as batteries go, I do agree you'd need to you need to couple these intermittent sources with energy storage and I I can't say anything on that besides that the costs continue to decline. I don't know when they level off. And how far that gets us but the trends are still at least heading in that direction so
1: no that that's
3: very interesting
0: two things on that though jake you're going to power your house 100 but you are probably going to have a bi-directional meter installed meaning during the day you'll be producing power to the grid right and then at night you'll be taking power from the grid with a net neutrality effectively using the grid as your bat, as your storage
3: yeah. The intermittency is definitely, Yep, I agree. It's, uh, it's. it's so look,
0: take that one step further. Now, if we're going to power a hundred percent using solar, we need to have a solar capacity of delivery more than two X our, uh, daily consumption and put the other half into storage for use when the sun isn't in the sky. Correct.
3: R- well, I, I wouldn't, go off the assumption that we would want or need to go a hundred percent solar so i think an energy mix okay. is going to be the end result at, 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 but correct if you wanted to get a hundred percent solar you would not need to do exactly like you said um yeah. maybe you could pump it into the ground do like a geothermal coupling so like a thermal battery
1: what about restructuring time zones so that everybody is completely on different <laughs> cycles there so you go <laughs> Yeah. I, mean, I know they're talking about doing away with daylight savings time, but then that does bring up time zones and why, but if I could, I wanted to talk, cause I did read something what Jim was talking about. These, these, you know, physical limits or limits of physics yep. imposed on this stuff. So I did read for solar cells, the max conversion is about 33% of photons into electrons. Like that's as high as we can get, I guess, according to the Shockley quasar limit which I didn't know anything about. And then Jim, I think they're today at 26%, at least what I read. Yeah. So our 26, we can go up to as high as 33. Now for wind turbines or wind turbines, there's something called the bets limit, which I guess allows us to capture a maximum of 60% of the energy in moving air. And right now commercial turbines are about 45%. So there is some upside there, but it is interesting those those ceilings.
4: Yeah.
3: Well, we like yeah. look at an internal combustion engine, and we don't question the 30% efficiency we experience with those energy sources. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's completely
4: normal. Things. You're right. Yeah, but I could put as much fuel as I want in it. I'm not limited to, you know, like a footprint of True. Earth, you know, facing solar, you know, like, and that. I guess, you know, and Jake, your, your example is residential distributed energy, which I'm actually, I think it's a great application for it. You could go 100% off the grid at your, you know, a residential scale, single family residence, um, and even smaller buildings, completely off grid, solar. I clarify on- though, Jim? Yep.
0: It's not completely off grid. Because you're using the grid as your storage mechanism.
4: No, no, no. But I'm saying you, you could. You could you go off grid yeah, yeah. with, with battery, go, well, you with could, battery with, backup.
0: Yeah, if you go battery backup. Okay, keep going. It's my apologies.
4: Yeah. yeah. No, there, there, there are several. I know several people that have off grid setups with batteries um, and solar and inverters. And, you know, you, you have to. To have a geothermal system you can't have big demanding air conditioning systems it takes a lot of planning mm-hmm. um yep. and proper but it's it's practical and that that's a great application for it i think my my argument's utility scale and even though arizona might have all this available solar energy year-round you know as an engineer I'm, I'm all about practicality how do i get that everywhere it's not practical like you just cannot with our current technology but again i don't see anywhere in the near future the development of superconductors and material science to carry that electrical energy all the way from arizona to the rest of the world you know the rest of the country you're talking decades away from being able to actually do that
2: i agree with that but that's why i think the distributed part residentially is huge like to me you know the concept of the tesla solar roof is genius um (laughs) And maybe I'm biased, but you know, you delete the need for an asphalt roof, which has its benefits, obviously, for not using oil and all that. And yes, you need a battery, obviously. Like we we all understand that, but you know, like the residential. Just looked up the residential sector is seventeen percent of our energy consumption in the United States. Commercials twelve. Transportation is thirty-five. And then industrial is 36. So, if you could, by doing distributed, you know, your microgrids for each house or whatever you want to call it, residentially and maybe commercially, you could really save, you could take up a lot of that energy consumption, you know? And for me, grid. it's
3: just like if you have a big building and you can put panels on it, and even just, even if it doesn't power your plant, uh, I
4: don't see why you wouldn't offset some of your bills. I think that's a great, that's, that's a, I'm all for that because your roof isn't doing anything anyway. Right. 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 Yeah. My my biggest problem, I hate to see, you know, forests and land being cleared to throw utility scale panels and wind turbines everywhere. That's my biggest problem right now.
2: I just don't know why they do that because I would say
4: it's because of the subsidies. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah.
1: I I would agree completely with what everybody's saying here. Small scale, distributed uh, works
4: for so many things. I think it's great. Uh, And it it hardens the grid. Yeah. You you, you have more decentralization and more reliability. I'm all for that. It follows the
0: the European model of distributed generation, micro generation. And I will tell you that it is 100% about the money because I'm not a, a big landowner, but we have enough acreage in PA and New York that... I've been approached multiple times by people that want to put in wind or solar. Well, it won't even disturb anything. You won't even know it's there. Well, huh. I have a totally different mindset about it. I'll know it's there. It is disruptive. It is an eyesore. I don't want it, not in my backyard. And it's all about the money. For enough money, you know, that will be the decision criteria for many, many landowners
1: sad sad little story yeah it, no, no no no, i didn't mean it jokingly
0: but no.
4: what, I,
1: what i and i think this is kind of what well maybe it's not what jim was saying but like i don't like the fact that there does not seem to be that even evaluation of the other side of the coin yeah. for you know we want to do this solar stuff everybody's talking about the environment okay tell me what happens to those acres you're going to clear cut and put the panels on you know, there's no evaluation of that side of the environmental impact. Nope. And I, and I agree. I think that's driven by, uh, the money, which is driven by a, a social campaign of some sort, you know, to, that just anything green is good. But again, my big beef again, with all this is I think a lot of this stuff with the subsidies and rebates and whatever, I mean, it's completely inorganic, and it, I think a lot of it takes away from true conservation efforts. And I think the conservation movement has been very damaged by the last twenty-five years of, you know, climate well, science, if you will. So that's a good point, Nick. It, you know, the
0: conservation movement, I think, is absolutely it's it's imperative because if you take it to its furthest evolution everyone would have an off-grid, I don't care, solar, wind, passive heat, and cool home. And if you've ever been in one, every square foot, every component of design, all the way from uh, compass orientation, passive shading, it's all about reducing the energy requirement of the home before you even start. Solar mm-hmm. hot water, extreme insulation, um, And that's only the construction. Then you go to daily operations and habitation. How long do you keep the refrigerator door open? Do you just uh, open the refrigerator and graze? You know, think, oh, look at this. How often do you wash your clothes? You know, the frequency, how do they get dried? Most have biomass heat. And the general footprint is usually smaller. You know, and when we were in New Zealand, it was really interesting because utility prices are so high. Everybody had their own water collection systems. They had their own solar hot water systems for washing and uh, residential use. But I don't think we as a nation are really, we have not embraced conservation yet. And the green, you know, energy, renewable energy, it won't work without conservation.
4: Yeah.
1: I would love to see a chart of clothesline sales in the United States from the 1950s to present day. I still use a clothesline. No, and I imagine there's a lot in New Zealand too. And there is, but I, I mean,
0: uh, you know, my wife always makes sure that I take them down off the clothesline, tumble them in the dryer. So, in her words, it doesn't look like my clothes have been sh- just chewed by a cow. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that look on you, Mark. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but all I'm saying is that the people that are that are embracing. Off grid have already embraced conservation.
1: Mm. Oh, what a
3: great statement! Yeah, yeah. I think until it gets cheap, money talks. I think um, your average person. Well, I I want to say especially in the United States, but maybe I'm pessimistic about our people. But um, I think uh, yeah, until the cost, until it becomes cost effective for them, I don't think many people. Will voluntarily shift, um,
4: and that and that's where things start to get political. <laughs> yes, because going to say, you know, now they're going to try to uh, nudge you and force you in that direction with you know subsidies and taxes and policies that are going to try to entice you to move in that direction of you know renewable and sustainable energy. Um, you know, so then then that's when you get into well. How serious is this threat, you know, of climate change and how quickly do we need to react to it? Is this an number, like do we have to, you know, respond instantly? And there are costs to the response. You know, it's not like you do all these things and you just some of the arguments I hear are that, well then if we're wrong, all we have we just have a very clean world and clean energy if we're wrong. It's like, no, you have a lot of this hits the low income people the hardest you know, because energy prices is going to cause all prices to rise. Um, they're going to have the hardest time the people on fixed incomes and lower incomes. So there are, there are real world serious costs you have to consider before you implement large scale, you know, political solutions to this. Um, and that's where, you know, again, that's where I start to have more questions than answers. You know, I have strong opinions, but they're, they're weakly held. I could be, I could be convinced you know i'm not saying that i don't sit here all day and do climate science all day every day you know but i def- definitely do have questions on things um and concerns for sure uh, but that's where things start to get political i don't think there's any easy answer to that one
0: so just take a take a step back and let's compare and contrast what's going on what has gone on in europe typically versus what's going on now so for about 15 years European natural gas prices were anywhere between 1.5 and 2x what they are in the United States, all right? So, and Europe has been heavily investing in renewables. I mean, just, you know, unbelievably, right? But has it been Mm -hmm. enough to offset their their, uh, fossil fuel usage? No. So in uh, 2021, our Henry Hub, Natural gas prices were about five bucks an MCF. Europe's were about eight fifty. It looks like from the chart. Mm-hmm. You know what they were yesterday? Our natural gas prices at the Henry Hub were six dollars and ten cents. Europe's were forty one dollars an MCF. Wow. Forty one dollars an MCF. Do you know what kind of impact that will have on industry, on residences? I mean that is unreal.
4: It'll, it'll ripple through everything.
0: Everything. Their inflation is already just, I mean, everything has gone off the chart. You know, we think we have an issue. Their issue will be five times as bad.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that's some of my biggest concerns right now are the, the pace. Um, you know, I just read yesterday, New York is considering a statewide moratorium on new gas installations. i <laughs> like yep. Across the whole state. Yep. You know, I saw that in New York City. You know, a few months ago, and now it's the whole state. Yeah, for
1: and private uh, residences. Too. Yeah, I,
4: I, I didn't finish reading. I just, I just caught it, and I'm like, wait a second. Like, this is getting crazy because I'm already seeing like, Ithaca, for example, and some other. There's been some other local areas that have uh, issued moratoriums on new gas hookups, and then you know, so they put in a bunch of air source heat pumps. And then next thing, you know, they're getting calls because, you know, they're They're going into, they're going into electric auxiliary heat and they're wondering why on the cold peak days, their electricity demand is through the roof. Right. And I'm like, this is just a start. Like if you, if you push too hard, too quickly without proper planning, you know, you're going to cause a lot more problems than you intend to solve. So so well, it.
0: It, you know, there is a moratorium already on um, no gas from a fracking state like Pennsylvania can come into New York. Yep. You know yep. that.
4: hmm
0: I mean,
1: well, well. Well, the, the, the macro issue here, and it would probably not something we're going to fix, but it's not the federal government's job. I mean, bottom line with this stuff. I mean, this is beyond we've gone far enough that, I mean, it's difficult to turn back but you know the subsidies all that it's it is not the federal government's job to do the things that they think they need to do so like <laughs> carbon taxes the net zero talk ESG standards did you hear like the SEC wants all this ESG standards yep. i mean so yep. watch your watch your money but you know leveraged markets for invisible gases unregulated paper credit I mean, they give you the right to everything about a KWH, except it's power producing characteristic, meaning you get PR credit for it. They're all bad ideas They're just a playground for corruption and fraud. And you won't see the results that they tell you we're gonna get. And then like Jim says, we're gonna be left with an infrastructure that doesn't work for a lot of people and the regressive nature of energy price increases will destroy a lot of families, you know, in the lower income level. But I don't know. It gave so, me goosebumps then. I know. It, I mean, I don't know, that's that's what we're talking about. It's it's not, I don't know, you know, everybody talked about subsidies and provide good examples and that's how, you know, markets evolve or products innovate and all that stuff, but.
0: But I, I think so. to your point, as a follow on, we will be left, okay, with multiple years of infrastructure resulting from bad
4: investments
0: for somebody to clean up when this is all said and done.
4: Yeah, that's the other thing we didn't talk about.
1: I mean, that's Jim, that's a great point. I mean, all this talk about life cycle and sustainability, and you're not looking at the flip side of what do you do with wind turbine blades and how much, you know, rare metals do we extract from China to, you know, build some of these things and the materials we need. It's, Right, and It's difficult to find that information, too. I mean, you're not finding it on Google, frankly. There's probably no, not but, much
0: of a market for it yet either, though, right? There's a huge market for recycling uh, PV. Huge. Yeah. I mean, basically, you pay them to take the panels, but, yeah, that, I mean, there's a huge market for it.
1: What is the life cycle of a wind turbine blade? It's not. It's not 25 years. I would have thought somewhere around there, honestly. Guess
3: I'm wrong. Well, don't take my word for it, but
0: what's Google
3: say? Is it steel? (laughs) I mean, can you just recycle?
0: No, they're most are Mm -hmm. uh, extruded carbon fiber, fiberglass, all that stuff. Mm, Okay.
4: Uh, I was more concerned about the solar panels. Right. Those have don't those have lower life cycle cost? Like, aren't they 15 years? I think you get 25. 15 think they're years are
0: supposed to be 75%. Yeah. I mean, it's still 75% capacity of 15 years. God.
1: I think we probably need to rewrite all of the life cycle, expected uh, life cycles of major appliance and equipment that we all know. Because a washer and dryer doesn't last as long as it did 10 years ago. I know. You're not kidding.
4: Refrigerators.
0: Google says 20 years on a wind wind turbine. No,
2: my Google says 25 to 30. Thank you,
0: Google. <laughs> well, mine's Perfect. used to listening
2: to me.
3: <laughs> but yeah, that's obviously
2: there's... an issue. Oh, sorry, Jake, I didn't mean to cut you off.
3: Um, no, I mean, just again, at a high level, I think there's like a fundamental advantage to technologies that can be recycled. Um, so you can't recycle... Let's say natural gas. Once you burn it, it's uh, effectively gone forever. Whereas even batteries um, can be recycled. Solar panels, I, it sounds like maybe can be. Um, so I I don't know what to say except for, for me from like a fundamental perspective, if you can recycle the materials involved, that that's a better solution. Um, obviously, there's always a practical side, as we've discussed with everything else, but.
1: Oh Jake, your calming ways have just, I think, taken me out of my kermitage Curmudgeon. phase. <laughs> Thank you. That is the only word that's appropriate. I, I think
3: a lot right. of your, um, you know, this this um, counterpoints that I've heard to like renewables are really valid, and I think it's just really interesting because you know, until we see how things play out, it's just it it is. There's a lot of question marks, um, but I just try to get perspective of you know. Uh, like, like Mark said, it sounds crazy that things would be uh, planes would be flying across the Atlantic. Or if you said gas cars are a good quite a uh, good answer to transportation before there was a gas station on every corner, it would have sounded ridiculous to dig a hole to store an explosive gas underground. But you know we figured it out. Do it safely, and there's gas stations everywhere. It sounds like an insane build-out effort, but. You know, it, it's just crazy how things tend to evolve and I'm not saying which way it will in the case of renewables here, but I don't like to count the d- options out just because it seems like a, a a large effort. Um obviously it helps to put numbers behind things, but so it's
1: very
0: good perspective. I have to take a trip back in the way back machine for a second. <laughs> so you guys all know why we have gasoline cars, how that whole thing happened so uh john d rockefeller was the oil king of the united states and when i say the oil king the primary fossil fuel use in those days was kerosene for lamps so this predated electric lights and you know standard oil became the you know right or wrong they had monopoly on oil lamp uh, lamp oil uh, production, distribution, and sale. And gasoline, which was a byproduct of the distillation process of crude oil, was a byproduct that in some cases they would dump it in a river and set it on fire. So when Henry Ford began his journey into automobile production, John D. Rockefeller, Henry Ford sat down and said, it would be great if we could find a use for this crap that we're, we have as a byproduct from uh lamp oil production and why don't you think about powering your cars with that and consequently we now have you know gasoline powered cars now if you had a, a federal transportation safety board back then nobody would be able to haul around 30 gallons of gasoline in a vehicle slung underneath their car but just no simply do, <laughs> right, just do the safety <laughs> issues right but that's why, you know, American ingenuity, inventiveness, resourcefulness has to come from the private sector. It has to come from, and in, a, in my mind, it always will. Yes, there's government research, there's government funding, but it's the innovation of the American people to, you know, respond and and adapt to the challenges we face. The free market will
3: do its thing. Yeah. Agreed. Love it. <laughs> well, I guess we did fix it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was say, where do we go from
3: here?
0: <laughs> well, I just thought it was interesting because. No, it is. Know, everybody, how do we get gasoline cars? Well, that was it. It was market driven. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody saw an opportunity to make a buck.
1: Mm-hmm. Were there ever subsidies with uh, automobiles? Anybody know?
0: Well, like, the, of, of course. The, I, the Coca of and the Chrysler bailout and all that stuff. Remember yeah. that?
3: Uh, fossil fuels, as well, have obviously gotten s- subsidies and sure and support, but things okay. are definitely I swapped know. now. Sometimes renewables these days. What's that, Jake? Oh, just the the subsidy uh, distribution is definitely obviously when there only was fossil fuels, they got all the subsidies, but it's definitely skewed towards mm-hmm. renewables at this point. That has flipped decidedly.
1: And Jake, when you were talking about your solar installation, you said it was a 10 year payback, you know, with, with some economic stimulus, if you will. Yep. Do you have any idea what it would be without that? That's I a great 16
2: question, somewhere. I would say.
3: I, I mean, it. Yeah, what was the. Like Mark said, the subsidy was like. 20% Did you least. get it this year or last year, Jake? I think I just got the quote this year. Yeah, I think I it's 22% <clears throat> this year. Yeah, I haven't moved forward because it's more economical to time it with a roof replacement.
0: Sure. Yeah. Which
3: is maybe coming up for me. And then uh, another interesting consideration is will it be valued if you go to sell the house? Um, and I'm I, I would like to speak to some real estate agents and see that how they usually handle that obviously if the if the next owner doesn't have to pay electricity bills how how would that factor into the value of my home so That's yeah handy. economics yeah. is king i got to figure that out
1: well and i think so you're here. highlighting too it's it's uh it's not a short-term consideration from the individual residential person up to you know the macro economy of it all you need to think about the next step and the next step after that and.
2: Yep. That's why I would like to see like housing tracks that get built. Just, I know it, it all comes down to money, right? But start with solar panels and, and heat pumps,
0: geothermal. Well, it's interesting. So that I know there's at least one housing tract in Menden where they have a uh, geothermal and a central pond where yeah. all the uh, houses are connected to the central pond as, uh, you know, instead of having fields. Yep. They all have loops in the pond. I think that's genius.
2: Mm-hmm. great application see jake that we, jake and i were talking a little bit about that yesterday preparing for this podcast and uh that's what he brought up he was like it'd be smart to do something like that i'm like they, they do pretty locally yep. actually
1: yeah I'm mixed, <laughs> on, I'm, I'm mixed on that i guess are ya? why i again, it's one of those things you know you see you know land cleared and I mean, seriously, I, mean, I I don't know. How much housing do we have? How much housing do we need?
2: Oh, yeah, well, you're getting There's into a, lot a different question
0: then, yeah.
1: we <laughs> down stuff and putting up these huge things, and I just don't get it. And they put a solar panel in the yard, and I don't know, want me to clap when I drive by or something.
0: I think I have been officially displaced as the resident curmudgeon.
1: Yeah, I'm going down hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think
0: it was interesting you know again i go back to new zealand and and it was in my mind almost an idyllic place just to see the respect for nature the respect for the environment the average mean size of residential housing uh the way they carefully guarded stewarded whatever you want to call it the environment it was i i went, All over the North Island and a little of the South Island, you never saw litter on the on next to a highway. Not one piece, not anywhere. Beautiful, you know. Fished in the streams and was really in awe. But there was a probably a fifty percent square footage difference between average homes in New Zealand and average homes in the U.S. Not fifty percent difference in family size. I'm talking about the houses, Um, and I think we. You know, as we have just a different expectation here. And until that expectation changes, then, you know, uh, it'll be very hard to bring down the, you know, raw or the total gross energy consumption per capita in the United States.
1: I mean, it's Mark. So when you were over in New Zealand, did you see, was there like public, you know, like service campaigns? You know, I mean, I'm thinking back to none. okay, Okay. So it's more in their culture then. It's in their culture. Right. Okay. Cause we're, we've got, seem to have gotten away. Like, I don't, I haven't heard anybody in 25 years tell me to conserve anything really. I mean, except in our industry. Right. But there used to be, you know, a lot of this conservation of natural resources, of, you know, use less. The landfills are filling up, but not, not one person is telling anybody, hey, stop consuming so much. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of goes back to your same thing, you know, minimize your load. And then you minimize the capacity you need to to fulfill that. I,
2: I will say to that point though, um, it's financially driven though. Like like here's a good example. Sounds silly. You ever hear like the Tide commercials? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on a podcast. Like use cold water. You know, you save $150 a year. I'm like $150 a year. Like this, I don't. I do believe, believe that. Blows. Well, it just you know. <laughs> It was right over me because I'm like, $150 a year? I don't know. Like if they yeah. said you could save five thousand dollars a year I'd be like, maybe I'll change my ways. Hundred fifty dollars a
0: year? Well, so when you're telling Little me. Little things you'll like that, respond, you know what I mean? You'll change your habits when utility prices go up? <laughs> Sadly, I mean that's kind of the way Oh okay. <laughs> so again, way back, I'm talking way back now. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. Have you ever seen the ellipse, the green ellipse with a circle? It's, I mean, a green ellipse with a line drawn uh, horizontally across it. It used to be the sign for environment and ecology. Probably never seen it. Probably not. That dates back to the 70s. Um, but the what's that? It was like the arrow thing? No. Okay.
1: Um, i gotta look this up
0: and it was on everything you know the, oh, that was the beginning of earth day and it, everybody was all about the environment back then and uh it it seems like now we talk the talk but we don't walk the walk um you know when you all you have to do is drive down the road and you see how much crap is thrown out on. we're way in the weeds now but <laughs> crap on the side of the road but, yeah i mean it, it just – I don't know what it is.
3: I agree efficiency is definitely to play a big part here. And that's where kind of interest for the this heat, these distribute – or uh, like district heating, like that one housing development you were just talking about, where you could actually share and distribute heat amongst like a, a small group of homes. I mean, even within a building, I mean, I can – There's probably so many buildings, commercial buildings, where for some reason they're generating tons of heat for a certain process or area. And they're just rejecting heat out of the roof to cool another area. And I think being more intelligent about building design and even maybe even community design could lower the demand for energy, which I think just benefits us across the board whatever source we're generating it from i, I think Shouldn't that's a, that. an important aspect can you
0: see my screen
3: oh i'm not even looking let's see yeah
2: never seen that never, never yeah. seen it never, never. i just looked no. up. i've
1: never <laughs> seen it before either <laughs> <laughs> wow okay now i really
0: feel old <laughs>
1: Well, yeah What well, so what is this like uh is it does it date back to an organization uh,
0: i don't know i don't know the origin of it
1: but symbol. that's what but,
0: it, i mean it was a, a big out. deal you saw it everywhere every volkswagen you know everybody had a peace sign and a uh recycle reuse you know yeah, i
1: remember that with the arrows going around and i mean you still see those but oh this is this okay. that that little um that letter or something
0: I think it is a a Greek letter, but I don't know. uh, I I don't know where this came from. It just, you know, showed up at the beginning of Earth Day.
1: Well, I think I'm going to try to find a bunch of stickers on eBay and put them on my cars. There you go. There you go. (laughs) I'd love to get some retro 1970s conservation stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Sorry
2: <laughs> to drag us out of the weeds, and we actually already lost one of our building hot riders because he had a yeah hard yeah, stop. It was a hard stop. I saw that. Um, where do we leave this podcast? What do we think? Like for our listeners, it, they heard a lot of back and forth and maybes, and I don't know. And we need more information, and but we have some opinions. Do we do we leave them with a, a definitive? This is where we stand, or are we just it's open right now, open for debate still.
0: I. I- I think, uh, you know, again, my takeaway is always that conservation comes first. Conserve first. And that pays dividends no matter what, whether Mm -hmm. you use renewables, agree with renewables, but conservation first. And then, you know, especially at the residential level where you do have the option to use grid storage, solar, wind, great. But from a utility level, its challenges are much more, they're they're much larger because as we talked about disposal and recycling, life cycle costing, all that, uh, there's a lot more that goes into it than you see, unless you dig below the surface. So
2: I, I'll leave our listeners with one, one interesting fact, you know, a lot of this renewable stuff to me, um, comes back to like what is the carbon life cycle of the technology like solar panels you know people look yeah. at solar panels like post production or manufacture and they say wow they're green that's making you know that's saving carbon pr- production and nobody to me not a lot of people think about what what went into manufacturing this all the energy and electricity and burnt gas and all that good stuff and I found a website and I won't, I won't cite the webpage cause I don't know how factually <laughs> base it is. But this website says that um, you need to have solar panels in operation for three years to become carbon neutral, paying off their carbon debt. So three years you can pay off a solar panels, carbon debt, which I found interesting. I mean, that's lower than what I would have expected. And, I don't know where that falls for wind turbines. I don't know where that falls for, you know, geothermal heat pumps. And I think we'll have to talk about it in a, another episode, but I don't know where that falls for uh, like electric cars and such. But to me, that's where, that's where I look at renewable quote unquote energy sources is what is their lifespan carbon footprint from manufacture to disposal over 25 years or whatever. Yeah, the
1: cradle-grave cycle. Yeah. So we've all decided then that carbon is the big evil and it must go?
2: <sighs> I didn't say that.
3: No, I'm just I'm, I'm Well, CO2,
2: question. I think, in general, is the... Yeah, okay. CO2 okay. emissions are perceived... I'll take a stand
3: so, there that I think uh, carbon emissions are, are, are going to play a negative role in the future.
2: <laughs> what do you mean?
3: Uh, as in, will cause shifts in the climate that will force us to adapt to them, which will come at a cost. Now we may be able to adapt to some effects, maybe not others, but there will be a cost to adaptation um, of rising temperatures. So, so, so I, I always balance that factor into my uh, cost benefit analysis. Um, I didn't hear it brought up a bunch uh, during the course of this podcast, but for me, um, for my research and, what i am able to find, uh, it does seem like um, a factor.
1: What about uh, other greenhouse gases? Are there equally dangerous ones out there or is it just carbon?
3: No, actually. And one of the, one of the big issues I have with natural gas is the, the leakage rates through pipelines and actually where they're, they're pulled from the earth. uh, They did some recent measurements at the Permian Basin where they extract a lot of natural gas and it was, 10% 10% of their production rate gets leaked in, into the atmosphere of, uh, of methane. And, and methane is a 30 times um, more effective greenhouse gas than carbon. Now, it does have a shorter lifetime. It decomposes after some time. I don't know exactly what it decomposes into or what that half-life is. Um, so, yeah, I believe meth- methane is also an issue. So I just, those are just factors in my calculus. I'm not saying that it's like a sole focus and like I'll take any risk or cost to get rid of these energy sources, but I do factor them in.
1: Well, I completely support like a holistic, you know, evaluation of it like you're doing. And I think that's what, you know, Clayton alluded to too. When we look at these technologies and their impact to whatever matters to us, you can't just draw a dotted line about it. I mean, we're talking about, Right, the planet aren't we yeah oh so, <laughs> it seems it's just this uh disingenuous at to me at times to just like I said draw this fake envelope around this tiny farmer's field with solar panels and say it's all good this is the holy grail right yeah. here Agreed. in the context of the planet but I agree and Jake
0: your point is valid that there you know I think the data may be a little old because there are. I have proximity to some gas wells, and, you know, especially here in Pennsylvania, the engineering controls are unreal. Even the increase in engineering controls are unreal. That said, the United States as a country has more engineering controls requirements than any other country on the face of the earth as far as extraction and leakage rates. So we all need to do our part agreed we need to have more and better engineering controls and uh, leakage control but we cannot be we can't enforce those same requirements across the globe so you know how do we get everybody on board with that i don't know yeah 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 you know
2: i think this is a really good episode and discussion more questions than answers i would say for this but a lot of great discussion points that really made me think you know on my personal opinions am i right or am i wrong i don't know and hopefully for you listeners like i said, we say in every episode you know if you guys have an opinion or you're, if you notice we're saying something wrong or you disagree let us know we'd love to hear your thoughts i mean there's a lot of information available that obviously we haven't accessed completely so we would like to hear what you guys think and yeah, I don't know. This is just a, a, a very good discussion, which is what we were hoping for. And I think we're going to have to have multiple parts on this and dive into specific technologies. You know, get ready for our... We're going to do a heat pumps episode. And then I think another great conversation is going to be electric vehicles because that kind of falls into this realm. So we have some good ones coming up for our listeners. of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So as always... Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we look uh, forward to having you back for our next ones.
3: Sorry if you could hear my Tesla in the background.